tell whatever you want or not tell whatever you want. <laughs> okay. You can completely lie. Filter out what I want. Yeah. 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. After a while away, we are back and today I'm sitting down with my friend Becca Anderson. As in today, I mean in August, I sat down with Becca Anderson. We had an amazing discussion and conversation talking about the differences between being a youngest sibling and an oldest sibling, as well as psychology, self-care, and self-love. This is a fantastic episode, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Before we get on with things, though, I just wanted to let you know that our schedule is going to be somewhat irregular for probably about the next year. I have work, an internship, and 17 credits in school. Now, the good news is my internship is actually producing podcasts for a think tank here in Rexburg. So if you want to hear any of those shows that I'm working on, mostly as a producer, you can follow me on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find out. That's at Alex Williams, A-L-E-X-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-N-S. So feel free to check those out. Feel free to listen in. This weekend, we have our first one coming out. It's Dear Subjects, uh, that show that I, you know, kind of sort of started almost a year ago. Yeah, it's back, and we're going to have regular episodes, and it's going to be awesome. Anyways, this conversation with Becca is amazing. I just want to encourage you that after today's show, go out and spend some time listening to somebody. Be thoughtful in your conversations. Be thoughtful in your questions, and really pay attention I guarantee you, you will be amazed what you find out. Becca Anderson, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you. Uh, so let's start with how we know each other. If you want to, I don't, I don't know how we know each other. You tell. Um, from my perspective, how we know each other is from church. I think I met you, be two years ago now, probably in the fall of 2017. Wow, time really flies, doesn't Would it? Would it be that long ago? I think it was, yeah. Wow. That's weird, yeah. It feels like I just met you last month. It really does. Um, that's because I didn't know your name till last month. <laughs> there you go. Just kidding. That's okay, a lie. Okay. Um, well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I feel like there there wasn't like a like an introduction made. It was just like yeah. I'm Alex. You know, it's like yeah. your usual church meeting people, right? Um, yeah. Okay, that's basically how most how I've met most people on here. That's so a good that's place perfect. to meet people. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you tell me where were you born? Yeah, so I was born in Cartston, Alberta, small little farm town, um, really close to the U.S. border, Mm -hmm. bordering Montana. Super close to the U.S. border. Very close, like 20, 30 minutes. So yeah, and very close to Waterton. So kind of a nice mix of mountain, prairie, farm. Yeah. And how did you enjoy growing up there? Um, I think I loved growing up there. As a child, you think you did? <laughs> well, I have th- I have mixed feelings there as an adult. There were a lot of qualifiers. There. <laughs> That's true. I, I think, think <laughs> as a child, I know <laughs> growing up very. Okay, specific. let me start over. I loved growing up. I had a great childhood. I think being in a very small town, growing up in the '90s, um, the 2000s was kind of a lot of freedom. Um, so I spent most of my time, you know, playing outdoors, um, being able to ride my bike anywhere in town, feeling safe to do that was kind of a treat. Yeah. I don't think a lot of kids get that nowadays. And so there was a lot of perks 
growing up in a small town there wasn't a lot to do so we had to be really creative and right. kind of make our own fun and and that was half of I think the magic of it is we got to really explore our own kind of creative geniuses and and right. figure out things to do so that was really cool I feel like I had a really great imagination as a kid for that mm-hmm. reason is we had to make our own fun so it was kind of a like reminiscing now I think right. I had like an idyllic childhood right yeah. What what kind of things would you guys do, like creative things? Oh, goodness. Um, wow, so many things. I think as like a younger child, we used to go on adventures and, right. you know, make up stories about we were these adventurers going into the woods and finding treasure or some quest of sorts. And so that yeah. was really fun um, being able to kind of do that with each other, my siblings or, or the neighborhood kids. And then as it got older, it just was more like, oh, what can we do for fun today? It was either like having a fire or probably doing things we shouldn't have done, which I probably won't say on the, on the podcast. You'll keep, bleep this out, right? Yeah. Keep, keep it a secret if you want, but I'm going to ask more after. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. We can do behind the scenes. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Um, that, that's awesome. So did you feel like, I don't know, I always imagine that people who grew up in those scenarios have these tight bonds and tight relationships mm. with people. Did you feel like that's something you got out of it? Oh, for sure. I think, um, it's hard not to, mm-hmm. it's hard not to grow up in that and not feel, um, exceptionally close to people. So I felt obviously like my, my two brothers that were close to me in age were, were some of my best friends, um, neighborhood kids. I'm still friends with one of my childhood friends to this day so that's really cool to be able to kind of continue that into adulthood and to have so many rich memories as a child to kind of come into our adult relationship as well right um but yeah I think it may not be there for everybody but that was my experience Hmm. maybe more of like a really quality friendship versus you know having a lot of friends right yeah right that's awesome. Um, and you talked about your brothers. Do you have more siblings? What's your, what's your family like? <laughs> I do. I have uh, nine siblings. Nine siblings. Yes. Ten kids. Yeah, six, six brothers and three sisters. Holy cow. So, and how's that? Like, what's that like? Oh, it's, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the best of times and the worst of times, as they say. There's a lot of chaos at times, but it's mm-hmm. also exciting and fun. And there's always something going on. And I have uh, a lot of nieces and nephews which is a real treat I feel like it's that nice between being a mom and and not being a mom yet Mm -hmm. so I get to practice how to how to do all those things now and not have the consequences you get to be cool (laughs) I get to be the cool aunt yes which I love I love spoiling my nieces and nephews as you should yeah yeah that's awesome and your your siblings so obviously some of them are older do you have younger I have one younger brother, yeah. So my oldest brother is about 47 and my youngest brother is 27. So there's 20 years spanning the gap. Wow. Yeah, I'm second youngest of the the crew. Wow. Do you feel like you got spoiled as a kid? Hmm. I guess I should think about how to answer this depending on who's listening. Oh, because I bet they're all going to... Oh, I know. Yeah. I think my youngest brother was the spoiled one. Um, But I think, I mean, my oldest siblings would say that the younger ones were spoiled, so... Of course, like I didn't have curfew, things like that. So that's definitely an area that I was spoiled in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other areas, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, there were some perks of it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm I'm one of the older ones, so I can speak <laughs> yeah, okay. for your older. Okay, siblings. that's fair. Yes, you were spoiled. I was spoiled. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll own it. I was spoiled. Uh, so okay, so growing up in Cardston, 
uh, having a lot of older siblings, were you were you close with them? Did you feel like you had a relationship with all of your siblings? I feel like growing up in a big family like that's really hard because it's almost like there's two families. Right. It's, you know, it's the older kids and the younger kids. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, when my oldest brother was like leaving home, my youngest brother was born. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine there's quite a, a, a gap there in, in relatability and, and the kinds of things you do together right quality time so there is a bit of a gap but I feel like there are siblings like my oldest sister for example I'm really really close with her and her kids and she's eight years older than me right so I don't think age has to be a qualifier for how close you are but um no I feel like I'm I have a pretty good relationship with with all of my siblings and could sit down and chat with them and, right. and have a great conversation especially now as an adult it's a lot right. easier to do that but as a kid for sure there was a bit of a a gap, right? Mm-hmm. My older siblings are in university and I'm in elementary school. What was yeah. important to us at those times is very different and just going through different experiences in life. Yeah. So maybe going into the mindset of younger Becca. Yeah. What What were your older siblings? Like, what did you think about mm. them? What were they to you? Did, did you care? Or was it just kind of like, they come for dinner sometimes, <laughs> you know? Who are these guys? Yeah. Um, oh, that's such a great question. I think, oh, I think I don't remember my older brothers a lot coming mm-hmm. home. Like very, very limited memory there. But I remember my oldest sister who I'm really close with. I remember always being really excited when she'd come to visit from university because she was in the States for university. And mm-hmm. so those are my memories of her like bringing home boyfriends and being so excited to meet them and and like attending their high school parties as a kid i always remember that was like the treat that's the cool thing yeah and they would some of her not her siblings um some of my sister's friends in high school would come and sneak us out of our windows after my mom would put us to bed really and then we'd go play in the yard with them like playing like wiffle ball or hang out with the with all the big kids around the bonfire so that always made us feel like so cool yeah. Right. As these elementary kids and the high school kids came and pulled us out the window. So that was, that was, you know, you look up to them. Yeah. So they were kind of like that, that big sister, big brother that was like, oh, they're so cool. I want to, I want to spend time with them. I want to be like them. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that it, that's, it's interesting hearing that perspective because I'm on the other end. I was going to say you're on the other end. Yeah. So how would you view your younger siblings? Well, I, now I'm thinking I gotta sneak my younger siblings out if I want. <laughs> you gotta be, be cool. the cool brother. <laughs> I gotta sneak them out and bring them. <laughs> gotta to step a party up your game, nation. Alex. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, fortunately, my mom doesn't listen to the podcast, so perfect. This is the perfect time to plan. <laughs> okay. Um, that's that's really cool. That's interesting to to see. You know, somebody who I consider a peer, a friend. Yeah. How they interacted mm. with their older siblings yeah. right and mm-hmm. and kind of diving into that perspective a little bit more um so going going forward throughout your life you're you're going to all the high school parties in elementary and <laughs> yeah i was growing up very fast <laughs> all the time you know you're driving at 10 i mean it was a small town so i don't know this is what happens i guess <laughs> yeah um and and so what was it what was it like kind of getting a little bit older in mm. a small town in Cartston? kind of getting into your teenage years? Hmm. I think that's probably where things changed for me, you yeah. know, wanting to grow up faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think small towns offer kind of that safe haven and that bubble as a child to kind of have this fantasy world of, you know, you get to create what you want and, and there's a lot of safety in that. But when you become 
a, a teenager more, there's this desire to move on, right? To kind of differentiate from your parents and your family and to kind of own and, and become. And so I think that was probably my biggest struggle in high school was wanting to grow up and to, to move on with my life mm. in, in lots of different aspects. And so sometimes I felt the small town being a bit of a constraint on me, thinking like, man, like there's not as many opportunities here or, you know, we're so far from you know, Lethbridge or Calgary where there's a lot more things to do. I still felt like I was able to do fun things with my friends. We again had to figure that out, what that looks like for high school students. But right. and there was there was still fun. Like I still enjoyed my my high school years, but for sure the the mood shifted for me quite a bit of looking forward to those years where I could move away and, and start to kind of live the life that I wanted to live. So in high school, what what was the life Becca wanted to live? Hmm. I think I was drawn to traveling, hmm. first and foremost. My mom had always traveled when I was probably most of my growing up years. She's from England, hmm. and her parents are both from Ireland. And so there was already that kind of itch for for exploring the world outside of outside of Cardston for right. sure. And, and she had traveled a lot back back to Ireland and England to do, to, to kind of connect with her family. And so that was always a desire of mine, right? To see more, right? to experience more. And we had traveled a lot as a family just um, into the States, going and seeing my cousins or, you know, going on trips and seeing different parts of the United States, which was really fun. And I think that kind of spurred that, that love for traveling and seeing different ways of living. Um, so that was part of it, I think. And another part was just being more exposed to diversity. Right. I think Cartston's a very great place to live, but it also can be very limiting in mm-hmm. your kind of perspective on a lot of things. Right. Being highly religious and being very um, kind of, I guess, like-minded. You kind of get into that bubble or, or group think. Yeah. And so it's very easy just to, to stay in that. It's comfortable. And so I think there were parts of me that thought, I want to be able to experience something outside of this. I want mm. to, to grow more and to, to be able to travel was one of the ways that I felt like I could do that, to mm. get new ideas and be exposed to different people and, and ways of living. So what was the first moment, at least that you can recall, where you felt exposed to different ideas and you felt like you got outside of that sphere of influence and maybe learn something new experience Mm. a little diversity it's a good question i'm trying to think if that even happened while i was in high school i think probably for me the first real time that it was like one that was pivotal in my life not like a simple thing but it was more of like quite a difference would Mm. be when i went to england for the first time and that was after high school Um, I went over with my sister and my brother and we traveled and went to London for a week and stayed with some family friends. And then we traveled through, um, kind of the Midland area where my mom was born and my sister had been living over there. And that was the first time I had ever, I mean, it's so opposite in so many ways, England, right? Um, so big and it's so multicultural, so much diversity. And it was just, I was like eating it up. It was just so tasty to me, yeah. you know, just the the city and its energy and um, how much the diversity enriched it. I love that. And mm. I loved being able to see people 
that um, didn't live my religion and, and didn't grow up in small farming communities, how they lived their life, what was important to them and how, you know, that influenced the things that they were passionate about, the things that they wanted to do with their lives. So that was, I think, my big shift at first, just being cultured, probably right. for lack of a better word, yeah. and recognizing that there's so much more than just my experience. Hmm. And I think that really broadened my perspective, but also showed me a lot just how beautiful life can be in so many different ways, right? It, it kind of expanded my horizon of how I can not limit myself to thinking like this is the way to live. And right. if I'm not living this way, then I'm not living. Hmm. Yeah. And so... Going over there, was that your first time outside of North America at all? Uh, yes, I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, that was my first time out of North America. And and so how did you take that moment and that, you know, those new experiences of seeing all this diversity mm-hmm. and and all these different cultures, how did you take that and let it kind of move you forward to mm. kind of creating further curiosity? I think it allowed me to say yes to a lot, a lot of more opportunities that I would have maybe been a little more hesitant to. Hmm. Made me more, probably more adventurous, more kind of thirsty to take risks, which shortly after that, I think it was, that's when I decided to transfer actually down to the States for school. Hmm. So I think that played into it in elements, being able to feel comfortable and um, brave enough to leave my safe space because I was studying in Lethbridge. Right. I just graduated high school um, and I was taking business at the Lethbridge College and was just like, I don't know if this is what I want. And I felt like, you know, why not take a risk? Yeah. And so went to the States and, and really enjoyed my time there. And I think that also played into me, um, my desires to, to serve a mission for my church, hmm. which also, you know, you can put things down like, do you want to learn a language? Do you want to serve a foreign mission? Things like that. And I felt excited about those things whereas before maybe i wouldn't have right would have felt that comfort in the safety of no like i'll speak english i'll do these things and that right and that opened such an amazing opportunity for me to then live in argentina for a year and a half Mm. and to learn spanish and again to fall in love with a culture so different than mine but so beautiful that's awesome it it's so interesting how that you know that moment going to england Mm -hmm. and seeing some other things made you think Maybe there are like other, other things, Mm -hmm. right? That you can check out and that you can see and experience. And so, um, finding out you were going to Argentina on uh, your mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what, what was your thought process like? Like, what did you think of that? (laughs) I think I was shocked at first, just like blown away. I remember thinking before I had opened my mission call, thinking I want to serve in Europe because that's where my family was from. Right. Right. And, or like, Oh, I'd, I'd love to speak French. My dad speaks French. And so there were things that I was already drawn to that I was kind of desiring to, to experience. And so when I opened my mission call and it's South America, Spanish speaking, that Mm -hmm. was not even on the radar, Yeah, but it was so perfect for me. I think it was just like, as I settled more into, to kind of owning that, it was like, Oh, this is going to be a beautiful, amazing experience. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And was it beautiful and oh, amazing? It was incredible. So so life-changing. I yeah. think I think it humbled me in so many ways to see how how we really do choose happiness in life. Hmm. And that was a big thing for me is that no matter what things we have or our circumstances, we always have the choice 
to choose happiness. And I saw that in so many of the people that I interacted with in Argentina. And that has inspired me to this day, I think, in a lot of the things. I just remember seeing so many people and having these incredible moments while I was there and just thinking, these people are so happy and so many of them have nothing. Hmm. And I have so much at home and there's so many things that I often find myself being ungrateful for. And so it was a really big paradigm shift for me to recognize that, you know, to own that personal choice as a power and to say, okay, I need to recognize that I have a choice to be happy regardless of what's going on in my life. And would you describe yourself uh, pre-mission? Would you describe yourself as a pessimist or an optimist? Mm. What do you think? I think I've always been a bit of an optimist. Mm. I think thinking now where I'm at in my life, I think I'm more intentional about it though Hmm. in the sense that I think before the mission I was very very kind of aware of the expectations that were placed on me maybe not even that others are placing on me but I felt like I was placing on myself right and so a lot of the things that I did um, I felt like some might call optimism I felt like I was constantly trying to be this happy person so that I could be good Hmm. if that makes any sense it was like so I could be perceived as good right Um, so people would see me as happy and oh that's a good person and all these things even though sometimes I wasn't feeling happy right or that maybe deep down inside I was you know sad or angry or or upset that I would oftentimes put on that mask of of happiness to for other people and now that I'm older and a little a little more miles on the road as they say little more life experience I've recognized how important it is to recognize that happiness doesn't mean those other feelings aren't there Hmm. we can still be happy and and feel sad and and angry at times but happiness is so much bigger than that right joy is that kind of all-encompassing feeling that we we can still experience in hardship we can still experience in in um, adversity Hmm. so how how do you experience joy in the midst of anger, sadness, depression, things like that, Mm. other things you're dealing with? I think perspective for me has been the biggest lifesaver, is just recognizing that, this is Becca's theory on life, so Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt, but I feel like everything in life is about relationships, about the relationship we have with our experiences. And so I can have an experience where I can get really sucked into the pessimism or the depression or the sadness or the anger, or I can look at it as an opportunity, a teacher. I really do believe that life is the greatest teacher and that the experiences we have, whether they're, you know, um, amazing experiences and happy or they're hard and devastating, which I've had many of both, they're, they're the experiences that we need to teach us something. And if we can lean into those experiences, whether they're painful or, you know, enriching, that we can learn something from it. But I often find that when I avoid those feelings of anger, those feelings of sadness, or those experiences, I often end up finding them over and over again in my life until I learn the lesson. Hmm. And so I think as I've gotten older, I've recognized, okay, you know, this is coming up for a reason. I need to learn something here. And it's often I learn something about myself. Maybe that means I need to let something go. Or I need to learn how to change my perspective about pain, about sadness and those things. And I think that's what shifted my mind and that I can still feel joy hmm. because I can still see life as a beautiful journey and, and exciting. And I, I do get a lot of love um, out of life. I love, love life. 
even though I experience those pockets of sadness or maybe um, experiencing some depression, I'm still able to see the light above it all, right? Have that perspective. Right. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I know in my life perspective has been huge, huge yeah. right? You just kind of open up, understand mm-hmm. kind of a little bit more, right? Than this narrow, <laughs> yeah. well, everything sucks kind of view, yeah. right? Yeah. So what's, what's a lesson that you've been able to learn by giving yourself this perspective? What have you learned? Um, I think that most of the emotions that we feel are temporary. Hmm. I think it's really easy to get sucked into them, um, especially as my work um, as a therapist. It's, that's what I teach all day, right? But I found myself even, and that's been part of my journey, is recognizing that emotions come and go quite quickly but it's what we do with the emotion when we're feeling it that will perpetuate it or will kind of dissipate the intensity of it, right? And so if I'm feeling one of those really negative emotions, am I able to just sit with it? Am I able to fully experience it instead of avoiding it? I think for most of my life, I tried to push away those negative feelings. And what happens when you bury something is it just grows and grows and grows, right? I I used to call myself a bottler. I used to bottle up my emotions a ton. And then I would end up having this explosion of anger or resentment or being upset about things. And as I've gotten older, I've been able to recognize the importance of just sitting with an emotion and feeling it. And something that I've been studying a lot recently in my work and my personal life as well is recognizing that we need to be compassionate with ourselves in those moments. Almost like you're being the perfect parent to yourself and comforting yourself through that. Because as we soothe ourselves through those difficult emotions it actually dissipates the emotion and it makes it more manageable Mm. and then we're able to move through it and then learn from it and then we can i think as well that that's emotional intelligence right we're able to sit with those hard emotions and not let it break us and that makes us so much more complex and and able to sit with other people in their heavy emotions Right. If I can't deal with anger in myself or with sadness in myself, which isn't a bad emotion, it's just mm-hmm. an emotion. Yeah. It's going to be really hard for me to show up for friends or people I care about when they're feeling those emotions. Mm. Right. So I've found that just such a gift for me in my own learning and my studies. And when I w- work with my clients, the more that I'm able to do that for myself, the more I can show up for other people to do that with them. Hmm. Yeah. And so how do you... How do you do that self-soothing? How do you help yourself get mm. through that stuff? Because, I mean, ultimately, you know, we have friends and we have people to mm. work through things, but that self-reliance, that yeah. ability to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. um, I think is something a lot of people desire and <laughs> yeah. a lot of people feel like this is a good idea, Yeah. but how do we do it? Um, I think from what I've been you know, doing my own research on and studying comes a little bit from Dr. Kristen Neff's um, book, Self-Compassion. And she talks a lot about being able to recognize how you do it for other people first, Hmm. right? So how you would show up, Alex, for a friend that you really care about when they're hurting or they're struggling with things. From what I know about you is that you would be incredibly compassionate. You would be able to sit with and love them through it, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to be judging them or you know, all the things that we say to ourselves oftentimes, right, right. you're going to be able to extend that compassion and, hey, like, I understand this is really hard for you. 
So if you can see how you would do that for somebody else, the tone that you use, the mm-hmm. words that you use, perhaps any physical contact, whether you're holding their hand or your arms around them, you then reflect that inwards. Hmm. And you're really intentional about what are the words that I need to hear right now? What are the words that are very comforting and soothing to me? Perhaps it's a phrase your parent might have said as a child or maybe a friend. And then thinking as well, what's the tone? Is it soft? Is it gentle? And then that physical touch, again, that releases that oxytocin and, and gives you that, that attachment, that comfort that you need with yourself. Being able to perhaps, you know, rub your hand, give yourself a hug. For me, it's hands up on the face. Hmm. That's something my mom used to do that was so comforting to me. Hmm. And so when I'm in those moments of really critical inner self-talk, I'm able to comfort and soothe myself. And that's a skill. It's a, it's a true skill to learn. I think if we can learn that as a society, oh, that would be such a gift, I think, to humanity. Yeah. <laughs> that we would show up for ourselves and not not avoid those feelings by numbing out, by using substances, or by lashing out at other people because we can't handle the pain or the emotion that we're sitting with. We can actually self-soothe through it and then show up in our most authentic way for other people. Hmm. And I guess that being there for other people doesn't just apply for the bad times. It's yeah. the good times. Exactly. Too, yeah. Right? We have, it's like our capacity increases. Yeah. Almost as if you, if you've ever used like Tupperware, right? For lunches, if you use those small Tupperwares and you're trying to shove everything in it and the lid doesn't quite close, it just doesn't work. Yeah. But it's like when you are able to self-soothe and offer that self-compassion and connect with humanity, it's like you upgrade your Tupperware. Hmm. You suddenly have more space Yeah. to be able to not only receive, but also to give, which is really beautiful. Hmm. That's awesome. So, uh, therapist Becca, um, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about how you, how you grew into this this person who is able to do this self soothing and mm, still and, working on it. Uh, and I mean, I <clears throat> yeah, a life. It's a are, life journey, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, most people probably sit on their deathbed saying, dang it, I didn't quite get there, you know? <laughs> For sure, yeah, a um, lot of regrets. Yeah, it is normal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how, um, so after your mission, like, how did you start applying that perspective you gained? How mm-hmm. did you start kind of going down this path of, I guess, deciding to be a therapist? Because you mentioned you were doing business beforehand. Yeah, it, it was quite a journey for me to figure out what I wanted to do. I think yeah. I switched my major about four, maybe five times. And mm-hmm. so I started out in business and then thought, well, I want to help people. I know that that's something that's really important. I've always loved helping other people, making them feel good. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll be a teacher. So I mm-hmm. went into to be elementary education because I love kids. And I was like, oh, that's that's the ideal but it didn't quite fit. It didn't feel quite what I wanted. And so then I thought, well, maybe I'll go the psychology route. I've always been fascinated with the psychology of, of the brain and, and of human humanity in general. So I switched to early childhood development again, mm-hmm. my love for kids kind of playing into that. Right. And it still didn't quite fit. Hmm. And so serving my mission and then coming home, um, and I had worked for like eight years at an old folks home that I, I loved working with people. I loved yeah being able to do specifically like recreation with them. So I remember speaking with an advisor in my undergrad and they told me about recreational therapy and I was like, this is it, this is what I want to do. And so when I graduated in that and came back to Canada, because I was in the States for school, I was still a little bit like, you know, this is what I want to do, but I'm still feeling like there's something else. Right. 
And um, so that's when I got involved with summer camps here in Southern Alberta. And um, again, my love for working with youth and working on those deeper things, kind of that inner stuff really shone through for me and thinking, okay, there's, there's something here. And um, one of my friends was talking to me about her journey. She was in social work and was like, Hey, you know, Becca, I'm, I'm going to go get my master's. And, and she's like, you should do your master's in social work. And I thought, well, I'd never really considered this. Yeah. And so she kind of told me what it is and what I could do with it. And it just like something clicked and it was like, that's what I want to do. And so applied at the university of Calgary, got in, um, and I just finished my master's degree earlier this year. And, and I loved, um, being able to do the therapy work. And so now I work downtown Calgary, um, as a therapist and it's, it's been a journey for sure. But yeah. I've, I've, it's interesting looking back now and seeing all these little experiences and things that have led me to where I am right now. And my favorite part of the day is just getting to be in a room and having these kinds of conversations mm. with my clients, really digging into what it is that makes them tick and what it is that they want out of life. And mm. I think my most important thing that I've learned with all those experiences in the past is that for me, at least it all comes down to how they relate to themselves, who they believe that they are, that core identity work. And if they really love themselves, then a lot of the problems that we experience in life seem to fall away. Hmm. We don't get as anxious about things, right? It's, it's easy to fall into depression when we don't like ourselves very much. I've been there myself. Right. And so that's been really kind of a cool thing in my work. And I think all of those experiences serving the mission, a lot of my travels, going to different countries, and just my interactions with people and seeing how much I love people and love life lead me into a career that is helping people to fall back in love with themselves and with life. Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of culminated into that. Mm -hmm. So you talked about self-soothing yeah. and different ways to do that and, and the importance of it, of yeah. course. So how does, cause I mean, self-soothing sounds like a temporary, like right now, what can you do? Yeah. Um, but self-love mm. that really loving yourself and caring about yourself how does somebody do that and maybe how did you come to do that oh come, gosh come to what a journey yourself? yeah that was wow if I could write a book <laughs> there would be some things in it about that um I think that has been an incredibly long and hard journey for me mm. um for a long time I did not like myself uh, I, I might even use the word hate. Hmm. I did not have a good relationship with myself. And I often found that in a way to avoid dealing with that inside me, I became a big people pleaser hmm. and would often use serving others or giving to others as a way to feel good about myself. That's where my value was. Hmm. And as much as that looks good on the outside, yeah. right? People yeah. think, oh, you know, Becca's this kind and, and loving and serving person on the inside, I was, I was dying. I was just so unhappy and, and angry and, and sad. And, hmm. and so there was a time that I slipped into depression and, and a time that I was in a really dark place for quite a few years. And I think to get out of that, I really had to kind of go on my own journey hmm. about what it is that I wanted out of life. Um, sometimes I'll talk to my clients about this, of like finding your why think Simon Sinek talks about that he does a podcast or a TED talk and mm -hmm. for me that was part of this journey of going through my undergrad and and even through my master's degree of really learning what it means to love yourself 
And it's not this conceited thing. It's yeah. not this like, I'm better than everyone else. Look how awesome I am. Yeah, it's really not. It's it's really about recognizing that even as a flawed human being who has a lot of weaknesses, because I do, that I'm still worthy of love. Hmm. And when I can recognize that and accept my flaws and soothe myself through those things that maybe I'm insecure about or the mistakes that I make, what it actually does is it connects me with other people rather than isolating me from them. But when I get on this pedestal of like, I'm special, I'm unique, you know, I can do it by myself. What I actually do is the opposite of what I want, which is pulling away from other people. And so I had that huge fear of vulnerability of like, I have to be invulnerable so that I can be worthy of love. Right. Essentially is what it came back down to, right? Because if I make mistakes, then I'm not worthy of that. And I had to really do a lot of deep work of seeing my own therapists and and being able to do a lot of reading about what it means to love yourself and, and not in like the, I have a great self-esteem, but in right. true identity work right. at the core of like how I feel about myself. And a lot of that too has been just understanding a little more about my relationship with God. Hmm. I think recognizing that, you know, regardless of who we are, our race, our gender, our sexual orientation, our religion, anything, our, our social economic status, that we are all children of God. Hmm. We're all human beings. And that in itself is enough. Hmm. And if we strip away all these things in society or in life that we like to label ourselves as, at the end of the day, we're just people. Hmm. And I find that in my work that I do, that's what I connect with most is recognizing that we judge people so much, right? We judge ourselves so much. Yeah. And if we can let go of the judgment, that's part of that self-soothing thing is we can get to a place where we can just recognize that in our weaknesses, in our flaws, that's when we connect with people. Hmm. And the people that I've connected to the deepest have shown me their scars, have shown me their flaws. And they kind of in a way have given me permission to do the same. And so it's being able to practice that and having incredible friends in my life that have been so patient and so kind and gentle with me in my process, because goodness knows I was a headache for them. You know, just my emotional instability for so many years of trying to figure that out. And they were yeah. just so great at holding the space for me to be able to figure that out. And now a privilege for me to be able to do that for others in their journey to find that self-love. And so it really is figuring out, you know, that was a long-winded answer. No, that's perfect. But at the end of the day, it's being able to accept and own your mistakes and vulnerabilities and recognize that that's a beautiful thing and it's the thing that connects us most as human beings. And when we're feeling those, we sometimes get stuck in them. And so instead of getting overwhelmed and kind of um, buried by them, that we can self-soothe ourselves in them, much like a mother would to a child when they're upset. We do that for ourselves and take that breath and realize that we're all in it together yeah. and that if we love each other and we love ourselves, then there's so much more peace and an ability to just really live and love. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that it's something I've been thinking about a lot is that self love mm -hmm. uh, and, and the importance of being your own friend. Yeah, like you huge. need to be friend number one yeah. to yourself. Yeah, we always right? look outside for those things, yeah. but we've got to look inside for it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just think I, I, I think everything you're saying is so important. It's obviously you're educated in this stuff. <laughs> Somewhat, and, <laughs> yeah. You know, and 
And it, it's something you think about. Yeah, I right? do think about it a lot. And, uh, and yeah, was it, was there, um, I don't know, maybe was there, was there anybody who inspired you to start thinking like that? Gosh. Maybe go that direction? I think there's so many people. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's one specific individual that was like, oh, this is who I want to be like. There has been so many people in my life that I look at of like, wow, they have such a good relationship with themselves and I feel so good when I'm around them. Yeah. Why is that? Hmm. And it was like these people kept coming into my life. Again, this going back to that idea that I told you that life is that great teacher and it puts things in our life that we need to learn. Yeah. And one of the first that I really remember was probably one of my best friends in my undergrad, Alicia and, and Kenzie. Those two were two big ones for me. Um, and then as I've gotten older, mentors, um, friends, maybe there have been church leaders, school, teachers, things like that have kind of stood out to me as, as those people that really practice self-love. And it's almost like they have this quiet confidence about them that they don't need other people to validate who they are mm-hmm. they don't need other people to buoy them up and to to say you know you alex are just amazing well thank you right yeah. and and we often want that in life yeah but they didn't need it right that's the difference and i think for me being able to see that in other people made it possible hmm. of like oh if other people can feel this i've got to be able to feel it too and so that's been such a beautiful experience to see all of these people, almost like a quilt, just little pieces getting added onto it. And now stepping back and looking, I see all of these people that were examples of that, of really teaching me what it meant to love themselves. And in loving themselves, they were able to love me in a very authentic and um, healing way Right. that has kind of led me to where I am right now. And being able to do that now for myself, I'm still not perfect at it. Right. And we still need people in our lives. It's not to say like, once I love myself, I need no one. Not at yeah. all. We're human beings. We're social animals. We, yeah. we need other people. But the difference being that I don't rely on other people to know my worth. Hmm. And that's a beautiful experience. Yeah. And when people feel it, it's a difference to know it in your head, but to feel it in your heart is a whole nother experience. And they often say the journey from the head to the heart is one of the longest journeys. And so logically I could see it in all these people. I could study it. I understood it, but I didn't feel it for a long time. Hmm. And when I felt it, it was like being reborn. Hmm. And it was like, Oh, I get it now. This is what it feels like. And so that gives me more compassion and patience for other people in their journey too, that I don't expect it right, right away when I'm, you know, teaching them about these concepts and I'm like, well, why aren't you loving yourself now? I recognize that it's a journey and that it takes time and it takes practice. But when they start to kind of tune into it, it's like magic happens and they just, they, they almost like a Phoenix. They, they evolve from this ash pile that they were into this beautiful, complex person that they are flaws and all but Mm -hmm. also those flaws become some of the most beautiful things about them. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 You're very good with words. You're good at like explaining things. Thank you. Um, And it's, you know, it's really good for somebody here who's, you know, learning these things Mm. and hearing about it. Uh, It helps me learn. Oh, thank you. Um, So yeah. Thank you. 
Um, so, so going forward, you've, you've found the self-love, you've come to appreciate yourself so much more Mm -hmm. and that has allowed you to enhance your capacity to take in other people and to, to help them on their journey. Yeah. And so going forward on your journey, what's, what's next? What, what does Becca's life look like in the future? Gosh, so many things. Um, but I think a few things that I'm really interested and hope to be able to accomplish is be able to touch more people. Um, one dream that I have is to be able to open like a women's wellness center and teach Mm. women about what it means to be a woman. I think today there's a lot of messages about what being a woman means. Right. And it's confusing. Yeah. It's confusing, um, to know what voices to listen to. And I think the most important one to listen to is the one inside. And so I'd love to be able to work with women on these ideas of loving yourselves. Cause I think women are especially hard on themselves. There's a lot of standards, um, self standards, right? Expectations, but also a lot of expectations on, in society that are placed on women that can be really, um, hard, hard to navigate what it means to be a woman. And I think women have incredible power and incredible capacity to, to love and to heal. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the things that are going on in the world right now could use a little bit more love and a little bit more of a woman's touch mm-hmm. to be able to heal. And I think doing that, we need to teach women about what it means to love themselves so that they can increase their capacity to go out and love other people mm-hmm. without judgment of self or others. So that's one thing that I would love to do and work with other health professionals and really create an integrated approach, holistic approach to women's health, whether that's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, all those aspects and really combine it and, and allow women to kind of experience the full spectrum of what that means. Um, so that would be one dream that I have. Um, and to be able to, I think work with youth still, I am so passionate about youth. I love, 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 love working with youth and working in nature. That's my other big love in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to incorporate those somehow, um, to continue to work with youth, to continue to work with women for sure, and to incorporate nature into that. Because I think that nature teaches us a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never felt more grounded than when I'm in nature. And so I think there's something to that. There's a spirituality, if that's what you want to call it, that nature brings into our life that grounds us and it helps us to connect to ourselves in a way, in a deeper way. I mean, you can just look at people on vacation that are out in nature. Yeah. They're kinder, they're more connected and there's something different. There's a peace that it brings. Hmm. And so being able to incorporate that in the work that I do, I think is also a beautiful metaphor of just... I think the way that humanity is going to heal is by reconnecting with nature, Mother Earth, the greatest woman of all, right? Right. And and really getting in touch with that feminine side of living, which is compassion and love. And sometimes there's a lot of wildness about that, and I love that. Mm-hmm. But the wildness of nature is beautiful. Mm. Even though at times it can be scary, it's also beautiful and it's a teacher. And so being able to accept that in ourselves as well, kind of incorporating all those ideas into my future and in a private practice and collaboration with other professionals would be a big dream of mine. That's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. 
um, and much needed. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. so at least. Yeah. So, so then kind of, uh, just to wrap things up here, I yeah. mean, we could talk about for hours. I know forever. Yes. Um, but to, to wrap it up, looking back on your life, let's mm-hmm. say you're 80 years old. Well, hopefully you live longer than that. But, oh, I'm, you know, I'm shooting think, for the hundreds. You know, let's say, let's say 180. Excellent. You're 180 <laughs> years old. And, uh, and you're looking back mm-hmm. on this 180 year life of Becca. Mm-hmm. You've done all these awesome things. What, what are you looking back on and what are you most proud of? What are, what would you say would be the, the thread of your life? Um, it's a great question. The thing that's standing out in my mind is learning to love myself. I don't think anything else matters. I don't think I would have been able to accomplish or will be able to accomplish what I would like to in the future without getting to that place of loving myself. Hmm. I think that ties so critically into everything that I, who I am right now and who I would like to be and how I then will show up in all of those instances and all the roles that I'll continue to play in my life, whether that's a daughter, a sister, eventually hopefully a mom right a teacher a therapist all of those different roles that I have if I can't show up in a way that's authentically me I don't feel like I'm I'd be satisfied with that Hmm. and I don't feel like I can live up to my full potential unless I love myself and so I feel like where I'm at right now I'm just starting to scratch the surface on what that means and really feeling kind of that authentic version of myself starting to blossom and starting to to kind of unfold and that's a beautiful experience and mm-hmm. so I think looking back right 180 years I would see this moment in my life this kind of decade this point I guess as a really pivotal pivotal part and for sure that thread that pulls it all together I think to be able to look into the future now and think this is this is a critical time for me mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing your life with me and for being my friend and for being on my wax museum. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening, not just to my wax museum, but to the other people in your life. Remember, you can make a difference just by listening, just by hearing these stories, and by sharing yours. Maybe you'll make a new friend. Maybe you'll make a new connection. But either way, Both parties will be better because you listened and someone got to share.